0: And I forgot the clicker. Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone has had a good week so far. Hope you didn't get too wet today. Thank you, Trevor. It is a blessing to be here again to worship and to hear from the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue in our Proverbs study, and our passage today is in Proverbs chapter 26. Before we get started, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father God, we come now before you just humbling ourselves in your presence. Lord, entirely undeserved. We stand before you, Lord. Only justified by your grace and your, and your justification by faith, Lord. And so, Lord, we just decrease now that you may increase. And, Lord, we sit here at your feet now desiring to hear from you. So teach us, Lord. Teach us what you'd have us to know, what you'd have us to do, and what you'd have us to be, Lord, for your glory. Lord, this word is full of wisdom, and we're so foolish. And so, Lord, we pray that you would impart your truth to us. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear and receive your truth tonight. And we thank you, Lord God. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Proverbs 26. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Verse 1 says, As snow in the summer and rain in the forest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There's a brain twister there. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like the one who binds a stone in a sling is like, is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The lazy man says there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in a bowl, and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Man. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood is to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness is revealed before the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So tonight, as you see on the screen there, there's a lot to talk about foolishness. Uh, and as we've continued through the study in Proverbs, as we've acknowledged before, Proverbs is a pretty, t- a pretty tough book to, to teach and to read and to understand. Uh, you often don't know where the writer is going with a lot of what he's, uh, what he's saying in the book of, he- of uh, Proverbs. But this is not that case. This one was pretty simple. Uh, as I was reading and studying, uh, it was pretty clear that God was talking about fools in this chapter, wouldn't you say? Uh, in fact, uh, the word fool, or fools, or foolish, or foolishness, or folly, is mentioned more in the book of Proverbs than any other book in the Bible. It's amazing, the book of wisdom is really what the book of Proverbs is, but in order for us to really understand what wisdom is, it must be contrasted in many cases against foolishness. Right? You don't know how light the light is until you know how dark the dark is. And so it's no surprise that Proverbs is full of both wise sayings or examples of wise men, as well as the things that the foolish would be found doing. And this particular chapter, 26, may as well be called the chapter on foolishness because of all the chapters... In the book of uh, Proverbs, in many of the chapters, of, as we've gone throughout, you may see some good and some bad. You may see, you know, kind of this back and forth com- contrast. You know, the wise man does this, the foolish man does this. The wise man does this, foolish man does this. You don't see that in chapter 26. In chapter 26, it's almost all. This is what the fool looks like. This is like the whole chapter is about foolishness. Amazingly, as a matter of fact. The word fool, the Hebrew word for this word fool that we're going to cover in a little bit is mentioned more in Proverbs than any other book in the Bible and more in this chapter than any other chapter in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Proverbs. Why is Hebrews on my mind? Man, come on, Lord. I did study a a passage in Hebrews. Of course, the Bible has a lot to say about foolishness, as we are well, well aware and just some things that uh, we find in the Bible that, uh, that speak to this subject. The heart's rejection of God. In Psalm 14.1, this is a very well-known scripture. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And uh, I'm actually rereading a book uh, that uh, was a blessing to me uh, and I'm preparing to have conversation. A lot of the men uh, know about a uh, very good friend of mine who's not a believer, and he's an atheist, or now he actually says he's an agnostic, so we're getting somewhere. Um, you know, but the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Uh, they're also disobedient to the Word of God, as we see in Matthew chapter 7, 26 and 27, talks about the one who, d- who hears the sayings of Christ and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his, ha- his house on the sand. Of course the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. We hear Jesus talk about the parable of the rich man, the rich fool, where God says to him in Luke chapter 12 verses 20 and 21, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And what will then happen to those things which you provided? And then the key Verse in verse twenty one says, "So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God." Jesus also talks about the the ten virgins, the five foolish and the five wise virgins, and the five that were unwise of the five wise and five foolish virgins. The five that were foolish were not prepared for the return of the master, the return of the bridegroom. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels for their lamps. And as it goes along, as, as the, the bridegroom comes and the foolish virgins have to go and purchase oil, the bridegroom comes and those that are ready go in with him at the wedding. And then here come the foolish virgins and they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answers and says, surely I say to you, I do not know you. And then one of the most sobering verses that I can find in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, because all they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And we see this as we read through the rest of chapter 1 of Romans this progression worse and worse and worse, and this repetitive saying, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over into more and more, greater and greater foolishness. The Bible also shows that religion is not a cure for foolishness, foolishness exists in the church. Amen. I can get anything for that. It does. In Matthew 23, verses 17 and 19, Jesus calls out the, tr- the, the church leaders, the, the religious leaders, the religiosity of his day, and calls them fools and blind. He says, which is greater, the, the gold or the temple that, san- that sanctifies the gold? Or which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? This is the same passage in which he calls them out and says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For your whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. And we only need to be remembered uh, be reminded about Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 which is the most chilling scripture in all the Bible when those who in Jesus' name prophesied, in Jesus' name cast out devils, in Jesus' name did many wonderful works only to hear Christ say depart from me. I never knew you. See, the Bible shows that foolishness does not really refer to a lack of intelligence, right? As we were talking about earlier, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There are brilliant scientists who have determined that there is no God. So this is not a question of their intelligence. They're highly intelligent. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually gives specific terms for unintelligence or lack of knowledge or understanding. You, when you see the word ignorant or you see the word unlearned, the Bible's actually most of the time talking about someone who just does not know, doesn't know any better, right, has been unlearned. When you see the word fool, it is more pointing to an act of the will than an act of the understanding. This is not an intellectual issue, this is a moral issue when you see a fool. Uh, have you, you ever read in, in, the, in the book of, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament about a son of Belial you see that often, a son of Belial. The fool is kind of the equivalent of a son of Belial in the Old Testament, which is just a worthless you know, person that's full of destruction, full of evil, full of wickedness. And the same term in, in the Old Testament for son of Belial is how the term fool is used in the Hebrew. Foolishness in the Bible is almost always associated with sin, with wickedness, with destruction, and destruction of others, and ultimately of oneself, uh, associated with rejection of God, and with condemnation. So with this context in mind, let's take a look back at our passage for tonight. And I first want to focus on this word, fool. It comes up so many times within this chapter. Now the Hebrew word for fool here, there are several uh, several words for fool, of course, but the word that is used here is kasil. Now, this word is found 70 times in Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, but nowhere else in Scripture. So only in these three books do you find this word, kassil. This word is most frequently used in the book of Proverbs 49 times, and 11 of those times is found right here in this chapter. This word denotes thick-headedness, sluggishness, arrogance, and it's almost always used in the same context as the words you see listed here. Now as I've highlighted four of those words, I highlighted them because you'll see as we go through the rest of chapter 26, these, theme- these themes begin to appear and emerge throughout the scriptures in this chapter. So you see laziness, you see contentiousness, you see slander, you see dishonesty, which literally is, is crooked speech, is what is referred to here. And, and I believe that this is not necessarily, as we go through chapter 26, these are not descriptions of different types of people, but all the same person or the same personality type. And this is a composite of all the different attributes that comprise a fool. So let's look at the first topic for tonight. I only have two points. First is ruined by foolishness. And the first... Focus here is perverting that which is good. If we look at verse 2, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. And so we see that the fool takes his speech very lightly. He does not think of what think before he speaks. In Psalm 10, uh, verses 2 through 7. Uh, in verse 7 it says his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. And as it goes through that whole, that whole chapter, Psalm 10, it talks about how the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and he renounces God. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments, God, are far above, out of his sight. As for all of his enemies he sneers at, at them and he says in his heart, I shall never be moved. I shall never be in adversity. This is the heart and the mind of a fool. We also see verse 6. He says, He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Literally, a fool's errand. You can't trust a fool to do anything worthwhile. You send him with a message, you you can guarantee the message is not going to reach its destination in its proper form. It'll be twisted, it'll be lost it'll be perverted into something that it was not intended to be because a fool is not trustworthy. Verses 7 and 9, you see this phrase, a proverb in the mouth of fools. It's literally anything of value is spoiled in the hands of a fool. The Garden of Eden was spoiled in the hands of a fool. The beautiful, the beauty of the garden was spoiled in the hands of a fool. We, as God's creation, were spoiled in the hands of a fool. Now verse 10 this is a tough one. If you take a look at verse 10 as I went through my studies this is a very difficult verse uh, for for interpretation among many many scholars. Uh, And this this verse has given a lot of people trouble. Um, Just if you want to get really nerdy on this uh, in your Bible when you see a word in, in italics So in some of your Bibles the word God is in italics. That means that that word was not in the original Hebrew. And so that word was added for clarity. In this case it didn't make it clearer. So verse 10 where it says the great God, the word God was not there in the original original Hebrew. And the word great, the Hebrew word for great in this verse, Rab or Rab, R-A-B, is rarely used directly in association with God. So that really kind of messes this whole verse up, right? Because when you see God, it's like, all right, God is the focus of this verse, but he's not even in this verse. So based on all that I, I, that I read and studied, and within the context, again, the twenty twenty rule, within the context of the chapter itself, this is what it appears to say. A great man grieves all and he hires the fool, and he also hires the transgressors. In other words, when a wicked man gets power in his hand, he by himself, and by the fools and the transgressors he hires, ultimately grieves all the people that are under his rule. I'm going to say that again. That was a whole lot out of verse 10. When a wicked man gains power, he by himself And by the fools and the transgressors he hires, ultimately grieves all who are under his rule. So you see, ruined by foolishness, in the hands of a fool, anything that is good becomes spoiled. Verse 11 finally says, uh, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Literally, if he sows folly, he reaps greater folly. Pastor Tim has said a couple times, you, 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 you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. It, and we, saw, we talked about it in Romans chapter 1. It just gets worse and worse and worse. This downward spiral into madness, into destruction, is what we see in the life of the fool. In addition to that, we see slothful indifference. Verses 13 through 16, four verses that talk directly about the lazy man. The lazy man. The lazy man. So indifferent, full of excuses. His intentions are undone by inaction. You see the verse about the door swinging on its hinges, but a lazy man and a lazy man swings on his bed. Right, that door can swing back and forth, but it never moves anywhere. It never goes anywhere. It's stuck to the wall by the hinges, and that's how the lazy man—he's stuck to his bed. It's like, yeah, I think I'll get up. No, I won't. Yeah, I think I'll get up. No, I won't. You know, kind of—it's—it's—it's it's, it's that kind of uh, notion that you see here. And then this, this crazy one about putting his hand in the bowl and wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. It's—it's it's almost like. He intends to do well, but he's too lazy to even do that. Even his good intentions are ruined by foolishness. He's content with his condition. He doesn't see any need to change. We see seven wise men, and they're not enough to, to give him the, the justification to stand up and be wise. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes. Verse 16, than seven men who can answer sensibly. So all the reason and all the logic and all the, 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 the explanations in the world are not enough to convince the fool. We also see that in stirring up strife with slander and contentiousness, verses 17 through 22, you see meddling in another person's quarrels, They've, just, they've, never, they've never met a fight they didn't want to get into, right? They, even when it's not their business. Their business is your business, <laughs> right? Or as my, as my old friend used to say, I'm not happy until you're not happy. <laughs> you see, by injurious mischief, by doing something harmful to your neighbor and say, I was just joking, right? By slander, by gossip, or by being that garbage can for someone to dump the slander and gossip in. That's foolishness. By fueling tensions rather than being a peacemaker, being one who stirs up trouble. And we see malicious deceit, verses 23 through 28. Great pretense outwardly. We see uh, fervent lips. Right? Who speaks kindly. All these nice things have a flattering mouth, but inwardly they're full of hatred and wickedness. The word seven abominations, of course, seven is the number of completion. And so it's just, he's full of abomination, even though he disguises it with his mouth. Jeremiah 9 8 says, Their tongue is an arrow shot out, it speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Ultimately, they get caught in their own snare. Verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. In Galatians 6, 7, 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Now tell the truth now. When you saw verse 27, did you not, think, did you not see wily e. Coyote? when you read that verse? I know I did. I'm serious. You know, when you, you roll a stone up the, up, the, up the hill and it falls back down on you, it's like, Lord, I'm trying to be serious here, and all I could see was Wile e. Coyote. But seriously, this verse does. It speaks to a life that's spiraling out of control, becoming more and more unhinged until meeting this tragic and self-destructive end. And no wonder Paul exclaims in Romans chapter seven, "O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And if that is your heart cry, whether you're here or whether you're watching online, the very answer is in the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He can deliver us from foolishness. So what do we do with this verse? What do we do with this chapter? Uh, and, and I tell you, when I was, like I said, Proverbs is not an easy book to study. You know, there are a lot of easier, easier books, a lot of easier passages. Man, you can sink your teeth into it, you know. Um, but in my in my study time, I I just kept asking Lord, please give us something to take home. Please give us something to take home. This is one of those books, one of those chapters where we can read, we can study, we can get a lot of intellect, and we take nothing home. But Lord, I believe you want us to take something home. So how shall we live with this? What are we good, what, how are we to apply this? What's the so what? I think the first thing the Lord wants us to do is examine ourselves. Like we said earlier, religion is not a cure for foolishness. Uh, as we, it was in the news just earlier this week, one of, the, one of the biggest denominations in the U.S. is under huge scandal right now for abuse and covering up abuse for years and years, Foolishness exists within this institution that we call the church. The body of Christ, Christ as the head of His church, He doesn't want to have it. He wants to purge all that chaff out of His church. But the institution, the religiosity of it, is no cure for foolishness. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Remember Pastor Tim shared uh, a couple weeks ago that tweet how a church that focused on prayer, we, we just dug in on prayer, and a 70 year old deacon came and got saved after he'd been serving for so many years. So, you know, we, we dare not read a passage like this and say, well, I'm not lazy and I don't gossip, you know, so that's not me. So, you no, know, we, we need to examine ourselves. We really, truly do, right? There is some such thing as gossiping via prayer requests, there really is. Right, I mean it is. Uh, there is some such thing as not being a peacemaker. Right, Our flesh is our flesh. We get stirred up. So we just have to check ourselves. I think the second thing that the Lord wants us to take home is, is how do we minister freedom and deliverance to those who are bound by foolishness? I know we have a lot of prodigals here in, this, in the church. Uh, I have some myself. And uh, and so of course you know I looked to the Lord saying Lord how can I use this you know what do I what would you have me do for the people who are walking in blind foolishness in my life and so I believe the Lord gave us three things from this passage that we can apply so how might we help not help God doesn't need our help how might God use us. To rescue the foolish, I think the first is with correction. If we look at verse one, it says, "As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting to a fool." And we see that again in verse eight: "Like one who hold, who binds a stone in a sling, is he who gives honor to a fool." Correction, not honor, is befitting a fool. Honoring a fool does three things. It degrades the one who gives it. It emboldens the one who receives it. And it discourages the ones who deserve it. I'll say that again. Those who who should be honored are discouraged. It degrades the one who gives it, to give honor to a fool. It emboldens the one who receives it. And it discourages the ones who deserve it. Matter of fact, I was talking with somebody just today. This is a complete work works uh, situation. But someone said the very thing today. Why do I try so hard when the ones who are not doing anything get the same recognition? Right? It emboldens the one who the ones who are who don't deserve it, and it discourages the ones who do. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. And following right, the next verse says, answer a fool according to his following. So what are we supposed to do with that? On the surface, it may appear to be a contradiction. And the skeptics would say, see, there you go. The Bible does contradict itself. But of course, the Lord does not. What he's saying here is in verse 3, do not lower yourself to the fool's level by justifying his foolishness. So don't get into a tangle over his silly questions or his silly arguments to justify his questions and justify his arguments as if he were a sensible person. Realize you're not dealing with a sensible person. 2 Timothy 2, 23 says, "...but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife." This is Paul's letter to Timothy, the, the pastoral epistles. Also in Titus, he tells Titus, "...avoid foolish disputes." genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. And when we look at verse 4, to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes, don't let him get away with his foolishness. He's saying, rather, by your words and your behavior, admonish him in such a way that his foolishness is revealed for what it is. So don't justify, don't get down to his level. Rather, admonish him so that he sees that this is foolishness in hopes that he might come to repentance. And we said 2 Timothy uh, 2.23 says, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Verse 24-26 through says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility... Correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. That's the key. So that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Understand this, brothers and sisters. Fools are blind, fools have been taken captive by the enemy by His will against their will. He has deceived them into believing that up is down and right is wrong. And they need to be rescued from that blindness. If our gospel is hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of those who believe not. That's the truth. That's what we're dealing with. So don't get distracted with the smokescreen. Right, so you talk to uh, uh, an unbeliever and uh, or a skeptic or an atheist, and they start going down some crazy path. You know, why did God, you know, kill the Canaanites? Right, or you know, something like that. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? And they use these as their as their defense mechanism to shut you up. But see right through that. See right through it. The whole issue is where does their soul lie? That's the whole issue. If God could be proven to be true, would you follow him? Even though he killed the Canaanites. That's the issue. The issue is not, can God answer all my questions? The issue is, can I answer the one question God has? That's what the answer is. So number one, with correction. Uh, Number two, with compassion. Now this really jumped out at me. Look at verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now on the surface it really didn't kind of hit me, kind of zip right by, and then I turned around and looked at it again. I was like, wait a minute. Is there any hope for a fool? Is there any hope whatsoever for a fool? Yes, clearly. There is more hope for a fool than for the one who is wise in his own eyes. And what it's saying here really is both are fools. One just recognizes his foolishness. And the other closes his mind and insists on remaining the way he is. And so, is there any hope whatsoever for a fool? Well, I hope so, because you're looking at one, right? Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, this is so powerful when I read it. It says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sounds just like Proverbs 26, doesn't it? But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We have to have compassion. You know, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. By all means, speak it. But remember where we came from. Do you remember how lost you were when the Lord saved you from your foolishness? I mean, just even as I was studying, you know, it's been, it's been, a, been a minute now. But I can, still, I can still kind of remember, it's like, the day before. Like, what, what, where were you the day before God saved you? You know, Pastor Tim talks about, they, you know, they were up all night and closed down the bar and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, where were you the night before God saved you? It's, it's like, you know, where were you the, the day before September 11th? You had no idea that your life was going to change on September 11th. You know, you just were going along like everything was going, was fine. And I, I mean, everything wasn't fine. For me, right? The, the Lord was squeezing me. He was squeezing me. He was squeezing me. But I was still trying to resist, trying to resist, trying to be a fool, trying to resist, right? Trying to resist. And then the Lord just zapped me one morning. And this, this reality just overwhelmed me like I would never thought of it before. It's like, man, there was a time when I didn't have to worry about things like this. The Lord took care of me. So what is wrong with me? And it's like, this, it's like why didn't I think about the day before? Or five days before? Or a month before? But that's how it is. It's like, you've got, got to remember where you came from. Remember how lost you were. Re- remember how messed up you were. You know, and, and why, did God take, why, why did God wait six years for that? Right? I was 16. I started preaching at 16. By 18, I was running from the Lord. And the Lord let me run for six years. Why God let me run six years? Why not six months? Why not six days? Why not six hours and just say, kill it, son. You're coming back. No. (laughs) For whatever reason, he allowed me to run. It's amazing. You know, I was talking to a family just this weekend. And they have a prodigal. And, uh, And I know this prodigal. I went to Bonaire with this young man. He preached the gospel to the, printer, to the prisoners at Bon Air, And now he's a prodigal, running from the Lord. I said, yeah, you know what, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Sounds like some kid, some dumb kid that started preaching at 16. And then acted a fool for six years once he turned 18. So God does not waste a testimony. He doesn't waste my six years of wandering in the wilderness because someone else coming along has someone wander in the wilderness and they need to know that God still saves little dummies like me. Thank God. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault or a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. Lest you also be tempted. Even in that, right? Lest you also be tempted. Right? We ought to always examine ourselves. Never put ourselves on this pedestal where we think that, oh, it can never happen to me. Yeah, famous last words. It can never happen to me. Oh, yeah, it could. And it does. It regularly does. Unfortunately, it does far more than we want it to. Right? We just heard about Ravi. I mean, and the list goes on and on. And the list could include me, it could include you. So verse 12 says, There's more hope for the fool that's repentant than the one who's unrepentant. Reminds me of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. He says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? But he didn't stop there. He wasn't lazy, right? He didn't, he didn't just roll over on his bed. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Even there we see that, we see that repentance. We see he remembered, he resolved, and then he returned. He remembered the way it used to be. He resolved that I'm going to go do. I'm going to go back, and he didn't stop there. He actually did. And look, and look what he hoped for, right? We talk in verse 12. There's more hope for a fool than for one who is wise in his own eyes. Oh, the best he could hope for, you see, right there. He says the hope best I can hope is just to be like a hired servant. That's the best I could hope for. I know I've completely messed it up. The best I could e- even ask for is that you make me a hired servant. But of course, we know he got far more than he hoped for. And that's the Father that we love. And he loves us so much. You know, as, as much as we fall, as much as we completely mess things up, he's always mighty to save. He's always ready to save. Salvation is of the Lord. Finally, with confidence confidence that God is in the saving business. Confidence that He loves saving people. Confidence that God is not a respecter of persons. In my prayer time I tell, my, I tell the Lord all the time, Lord you don't love me more than you love any other prodigal. And I am no more deserving of this grace that you've given than any other prodigal. Again in Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness that we have done. Right? He didn't come and say, yeah, you kind of messed up, but you got some promise. I think I'm gonna come and get you. No, no, I got nothing to offer. I've got nothing to offer. And neither do my prodigals, and neither do yours. But God doesn't love me more than them. He should have let me die, but he didn't. And he's not done yet. He's not done. First Timothy one fifteen says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And you thought you were the worst. No, you weren't. I was. And Philippians 3.7, we will close on this. Paul says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." And this is the amazing grace of God. This is the miracle of it all, that you you find a fool who is so bent on living their way, on doing their thing, on not hearing a word of reason or logic or compassion or the gospel, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it. And when the Lord gets a hold of them, all that they thought was gain, they counted all loss for Christ. It's like, I can't believe I used to think that way. I can't believe I used to do that. It's it's so night and day. I mean, the the miracle of salvation, I'll never be able able to fully just grasp it. How the Lord took me that day. I went to bed that night, and I had no idea that he was going to just light my world up the very next morning. And that's how the Lord operates. That's how he does There is hope for the fools in my heart and the fools in my life by His grace. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that there is hope for a fool. We thank You that there is hope for this fool. Forgive us of our daily foolishness. Forgive us, Lord, when we Walk in our flesh. We refuse, we forget to walk in the Spirit. We allow our flesh to be seated on the throne of our hearts. Forgive us, Lord. Teach us and lead us in your wisdom and in your ways. Fill us, Lord, to follow you. Lord, enable us to be your hands and your feet, your mouthpieces, Lord, in this world. To minister to the foolish, those who don't know you, who at this time don't want to know you. But Lord, as we saw tonight, that perhaps you would grant them repentance, that they may be rescued from the snare of the devil who has taken them captive according to his will. Lord, we know that you're not done, you're not finished saving. We know that these testimonies are still being being written. And we trust you, Lord God. We ask your blessings that you enable us, Lord, to take this with us home and apply it to our lives, Lord, that we may please you in all that we do. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. amen. 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 Thank you. You are dismissed. Have a great evening.